Hey guys, welcome to this week of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a story-based podcast about our shared human experience. And today we have Sandy Savage on. Yes, that is her real name, Sandy Savage. How cool is that? And we have her on today to share her story. It is a wild ride, so buckle up, okay? She shares about working in the sex industry for a really long time, um, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, cancer diagnosis, infertility. It's such a wild ride um, that all the things she has been through in her life are just absolutely unbelievable. Her road to healing and redemption and the work that she does now today, it's just incredible. I know that you're absolutely going to love it. Um, You will hear a little bit in the background of this episode, Sandy's sweet little baby, Josephine. And it's kind of special though that you can hear her throughout because Sandy shares the story of just, you know, her journey to being able to have Josephine. She actually didn't even become a mom until she was 50 years old, which is just so incredible. So you'll hear her a little in the background and I hope that you just really enjoy this conversation today. Stay tuned. Sandy, welcome to So What Else. Thanks so much for doing this. Well, thank you so much for having me, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited. So right before we got on, you said that you guys are in the middle of moving. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Where are you moving? We are moving back to my hometown, which is just a wild story in itself because I haven't really, I haven't lived there since I was 18. I'm 51. Yeah, yeah. But my whole family is still there. And Mm. so, you know, we've traveled all over. We have lived in so many different states. I've lived in different countries to say, you know what, let's just anchor down into hometown around the family. And if we go somewhere for a month, okay, we go somewhere for a month. But to have that anchor point where our daughter can grow up around family is just super special to us. Oh, I so agree. It's so huge to be able to be close to family, especially now that you have a baby. So how old is your daughter? Yeah, she's almost 10 months old. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you became a mom at 50. Yes. We will get into that. When we get into your story, we'll get into that. Let's save it. But that is amazing. Good for you, for real. Thank you, thank you. uh, Well, you look great. You look well-rested. Is it makeup? It's lighting. It is (laughs) 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 gotta love those ring lights right i'm like nice lighting (laughs) oh my goodness i love it i love it so before we get into it introduce yourself to us like who are you what do you do we know you're a mom but tell us a little bit about you well hi everybody my name is sandy savage um yes it is my name my husband's last name is savage it is the name i always wanted that is like the luckiest it really is so lucky Oh. I couldn't even believe it. I was like, yes, I'm going to marry Savage. This is great. Absolutely. And um, I'm a writer. I am currently working on my memoir. Uh, I am about to, we're about to launch off a women's retreat that's going to happen quarterly internationally. So we're going to have different spots and different panels of speakers that are going to come in. So right now I am uh, doing all of that formation, you know, yeah. That fun event and being a mom, I have previously been the lead pastor of two churches. 
Uh, I have been, um, I'm an ex-stripper. I have been a business owner. I've been a business strategist and podcaster, all that kind of stuff. Lots of different hats. And um, it's really funny because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and they're like, you've tried so many different things. You've done so many different things. It's all fun. Like, you know, all this deal and some things have worked and some things have not. And, you know, she was like, how do you even do all that? And I said, well, none of it's attached to who I am. Mm-hmm. These are just things that I do, but it, it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I'm okay to risk on something because I, it might work. It might not, might be awesome, might be really hard, Yeah. but in the end, it's always experience. I love that. That's a beautiful outlook. I love that. So you're in Kentucky, right? Yes. I can t- I love your accent. It's adorable. <laughs> and I'm trying not to have that bad of an accent. No. It's, <laughs> do I have an accent to you? No. Oh, I love that. Okay, no. good. So I'm in Jersey. My husband is not from Jersey though. And he's like, you like, especially because we lived in Colorado for a while then we moved back here. And he's like, especially since we moved back, you sound so Jersey. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> think I sound that Jersey. <laughs> well, my but, husband was born in Boston. Oh, so, but he, he doesn't have the accent. Okay. Unless he wants it. Whoa. But when he wants it, it is like. You re- the Boston accent is so interesting to me. It really, yes. really is. Yes. I have family up there, but they don't have it at all. But I have some friends that were from Boston and they totally like, um, I'm going to dinner tonight with friends where her husband's from Boston and he totally grew up there. And there's certain words he says that come out and it's like smacks you in the face. Like so Boston. Yes. I love it. I yes. love it. Like when my husband talks to his mom, he'll go, ma. And I'm like, yeah. Where did that come from? Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. Oh, okay. So your life has been a wild ride, obviously. Like even you just introducing yourself, like that was a lot of stuff. Okay. So listen, we are a story-based podcast. We've had people come on and share about a wide variety of things. Okay. So I would just love to hear your story. So honestly, like where should we start? You, you mentioned, obviously, that you used to be a stripper. I mean, I'm sure people are wondering about that. Like, where do you want to start with this? Well, let's see. In the beginning, <laughs> I was born in a small town in Kentucky and raised on a thousand acre cattle farm. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we can start there. And please, Interrupt me at any point if you have any questions. Totally. Um, no, really. I was I was born on I was born in a very small town in Kentucky, which I'm about ready to move back to. And I was raised on this thousand acre farm with cattle and corn and wheat and tobacco. So my base was agricultural. Like we mm-hmm. I, we farmed. Our gardens were the size of football fields. We lived so far out that it was we had to can. We had to camp. We had to do that kind of stuff because in the winter, if it snowed, you didn't get out. Yeah. So you had to have a backstop of food. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very interesting that I have that I have that whole agricultural thing, which I love to garden. I cannot wait to get back to it. Um, I especially think in these times, it's good to to understand some sustainability things. Oh yeah. To to keep yourself fed. so I did. I was I was born and raised very small town. Uh, when I was in the single digits, 
I found a stack of porn magazines. Okay. And at that moment, because I was isolated where I grew up, I thought, well, that's what a woman needs to look like and act like. Mm. At that young, young age, it was kind of like, it was like, oh, I guess this is what, you know, it was, oh, I guess this is what Mm -hmm. it looked like. So when I became a teenager, I was in the band. Mm -hmm. I was on the speech and debate team. You know, I was, I was all the things that were kind of not the popular thing Mm -hmm. back then. So it gave me this sense of isolation that I was looking to fill with something. Yeah. Yeah. So as a teenager, I started an addiction to alcohol Mm -hmm. and um, I, I was looking at pornography, not really understanding it fully, but still going, well, this is glamorous. This is, you know, we're wearing mm-hmm. a lot of makeup and it's very, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be and act like and do. Mm-hmm. When I went to college, I met, married and divorced my first husband. Oh, wow. And he, well, he, uh, he had an affair the night before we got married. So, and then told me on our honeymoon. Oh, so it was a very short first marriage. Oh my goodness. And it just, it gave me even more of a sense of, well, something I'm not doing is right. I need to amp it. Yeah. I started drinking more. Um, I started, I was a theater major. So I was like at every party every, you know, uh, sleeping around, like you don't even, I mean, it was like, mm-hmm. and when I got that divorce, I ended up asking uh, someone from the theater department, listen, I need a job for the summer. Mm-hmm. What can I do? And they said, Oh, go to the lost colony. It's an outdoor drama. You can be a costumer there. Just, you know, work in the costume shop. I said, fine, I'll do that. I tore off to the lost colony and met who was to be my second husband. Mm. He was in the middle of a separation and 17 years older than me. Oh, wow. So he was the choreographer there. And we began a relationship that was so unbelievably toxic, but I didn't know that it was. Right. I thought, hey, this is a guy who's going to take care of me. Mm. the end of the summer came and he said, Hey, I'm going to go try to work it out with my wife. The cast and crew had left. And so then I was stranded with a garbage bag full of clothes in a different state. Oh no. So I called a friend of mine and said, Hey, can you drive from Kentucky to North Carolina? Pick me up and take him. And they said, yes. So they came down and got me. I went back. And then at that point, I was sitting in a, in a place of, I've had some college. I don't see a whole lot of economic opportunity. This was, this was the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there's a, there's a go-go dancing bar down the street from, you know, where we all lived. Let's all go do that. Mm-hmm. So I started working in this go-go bar and met a man there who was probably about 35 years older than me. And I ended up moving in with him and then he ended up locking me in his house. And so he would take me back and forth to the go-go bar. And there I was able to ask someone for a phone card and I started stashing away money. And then uh, one day he 
left me at the house. I got my phone card out and I called the man from the summer who was older than me in the toxic relationship. And I said, I need you to buy me a bus ticket because I have to escape this person. Mm. They were in a gang. It was a bad situation. Uh, being locked in their, in their home. So he did. He had gotten back together with his wife at that point, but I busted out a window. Oh, wow. Walked. It was in the middle of the winter. I walked in the snow to the bus station. The ticket was there. And I got back to North Carolina and moved in with my ex-boyfriend and his wife. Oh, my goodness. Did she know that you were an ex? Yes. She did not stay for very long. She moved out. And then I was there with him. And at, and at that point, I thought, I've won. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, oh, okay, she moved out. And now I have somebody that can take care of me. And I'm not at the go bar. And this will be great. Mm-hmm. He's got an apartment. We're, we're, we're so well off. Yeah. Uh, he was a ballet instructor at the time. And he wasn't um, making a lot of income doing that. So I said, I, I'm going to rescue us. I'm going to go to the strip bar down the street. Because he's not making enough income. I know that I can. I was a go-go dancer. It's just taking off a little more clothes. Okay. And so I went in. I auditioned. The manager said, can you come back tonight and start work? And I said, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. So I started working at this club. This is I'm 20 years old at this point. Oh, my goodness. And... My alcoholism was at a high. They knew that I was underage, but they still, you know. Okay, they just. Anyway. Yeah. I was working at a strip club. I mean, they were like, whatever you need. Mm -hmm. And my alcoholism was ramping and ramping and ramping. And Mm. then I found the guy that I was living with who was to become a husband. We started doing a lot of cocaine. Mm. So he introduced me to that. And now with alcoholism, heavy drug addiction, and he became abusive. Mm. So we moved around lots of different states and cities. And at one point, he threatened to kill me and my family. Stole a gun from our landlord. I mean, it was, you know, it was um, a very bad scenario. So I went to, at that point, I was working in Myrtle Beach at a club there in South Carolina. And I went to the manager and I said, hey, I need to get out of town. Is there a club that I can go to? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we're opening a club in Mexico City. I said, I need to leave pretty soon. They said, we can get you on a flight tomorrow. Wow. So I went home and said, hey, I'm going to go open this club for a week and I'll be back. And then I left. And... Didn't see him again. I landed in Mexico City, just raging addictions mm-hmm. in hand. But I had escaped this abusive husband. Right. When I had open access to all the alcohol and drugs that I wanted, mm-hmm. it is incredible that I didn't die. Yeah. Point in that scenario. So one night, this was the week of. July 15th in 1996. This is how long ago that was. I got into a cab and I asked the cab driver to help me go find cocaine. Mm. And blonde stripper helped me find cocaine Mm -hmm. in a cab. And 
I was proceeded to be raped by three police officers and the cab driver. Oh my gosh. They dumped me out of the car. Oh. Um, I, I came to, because I, I was on a lot of drugs, I came to, uh, I picked the gravel out of my legs. Like there was, you know, and got back to my hotel and called my manager and said, hey, I need help. This has happened. And if I continue on with alcohol and cocaine, I'm going to die soon. Wow. So she called a 12-step program there and had someone pick me up. And that was uh, July 15th, 1996 was my first day of sobriety. Wow. So I've been sober since. Oh, my goodness. So I'm coming up on... um, do the math. Not a math person. Me neither. Whatever. A lot of years. A lot of, years. <laughs> a lot of years. Over a couple of decades. Um, wow. Clean and sober. So clean and sober, but you continue to work at the strip club for a little while or no? You were done with that too? For like eight years. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. So we. I want to get to that. But so you remember the rape, like the night of that pretty clearly. Like, what is that like for you? It's hazy. Okay. But you knew what happened to you. It wasn't like a question. Yes. Um, there was physical evidence. Okay. On me. So they did take me to um, get tested for lots of stuff. And Did you ever press charges or anything like that? No. I, I wasn't. This was a cab driver and cops. Yeah. You know. Right. Oh, did you ever, like, at some point get like counseling for that? Like, did you suffer from like, yes. Okay. So we'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I am a 1000% believer in counseling and being in community and being able to share your heart and your past and bring that to light and just have people love on you. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yes. I mean, that's basically what this podcast is. So I love that. Okay. So let, let me stop interrupting you. Okay. So you get clean and sober, but then you continue to work, which honestly, like that's very, very impressive to be working in an environment like a strip club, but to be clean and sober. I mean, I have to like assume that there weren't many people that were sober, like in that environment. There, there weren't, but my bottom of alcoholism and drug addiction was such a bottom mm-hmm. that when I made the decision to stop, mm-hmm. there was no going back. I understood that if I took one more drink mm-hmm. ever, you know, a lot of times in 12-step programs, you say, you know, one day at a time, at, at some point you go five minutes at a time. Those first 30 days, I went to three meetings a day. Oh, three days. But I knew if I took the first drink in a couple of months, I would be dead. Okay. Like I knew that that would happen. So that was enough motivation for me. And my addiction shifted to money. Okay. So once I dropped that addiction, my my addiction shifted to now I'm sober. I can bank. Yep. I don't have to spend it on alcohol. You know, I don't have to spend it buying cocaine. So I'm going to gather the money. So I did, I, you know, and I, and I still worked. I worked in the club. I was um, starting to feature around the world. Uh, I was booking women from Europe to work in Mexico. Uh, So I had that booking company. I was about to start a pornography production company with a friend of mine in Texas 
Uh, I was bridging about to buy a brothel in Mexico City. Like that is, and that is who I was becoming. So I ended up taking um, a month, six weeks, and spent it with a friend of mine in England. Mm-hmm. I was recruiting people over there, uh, but also just kicking around London some. I flew back and en route to get back to Mexico City. I landed in Miami and I was at a porn convention in Miami, also recruiting. Wow. At that hotel. So I was at the convention. The convention had just ended. And I was at the hotel down by the pool. And I started to cry. Like I was like, it was like just started coming out of my eyes going, if is this it? Like I was at this kind of pinnacle of what you would think of a career mm-hmm. in the industry. And I went, but is this it? Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of miserable. I have a lot of friends. Right. Um, and none of them are sober. I have one or two really good friends that are still in Kentucky, not a part of this life at all. Is this it? Mm-hmm. So I went back to Mexico. And a couple of weeks later, a friend of mine asked me to come here. I'm singing at a wedding in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I packed a bag, got on a flight, got back to Kentucky. And I had always looked at religion as religion and judgment, that kind of deal. I didn't understand at the time that I was almost being guided into being at a better place in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I made the decision. I kind of heard it like in my heart. I was like, I could just stay here. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I stayed in Kentucky with my one suitcase. You know, mm-hmm. I, I am by the guy that I was living with. And I said, I'm not coming back to Mexico. I'm staying in Kentucky. Please pack up my stuff. And I stayed in Kentucky. Wow. Now, this friend said, why don't you come to church with me? And I went, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? Do you, wait a minute. You know who I am. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk in there. And he's like, oh, come on, come on. It's going to be a fun week, whatever. So I like I threw on some gold leather pants, <laughs> a black silk shirt, and a black leather jacket. Smoke. Okay. And this is, this is like early to mid nineties at this point. Like my hair was huge. Like I was like, and I'm smoking. And I said, let me see what you Christians do about this. Oh my goodness. You know? And I walked into this church and the funniest thing was it didn't phase anybody. <laughs> they were like, okay. How are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm good. You know, where's the smoking section? Oh, you can smoke right out there. And, okay, great. Um, so, you know, Hey, come sit with me. Okay, great. So anyway, I was like, well, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. It felt good to just be around some people that weren't like in the industry. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wasn't feeling judged at all, which was incredible because that was all that I'd ever heard about, Mm -hmm. you know, church. Then I started, I kept going. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, okay. I'll show up next week. Hey, come and hang out. Come to this picnic. Come to do this thing. So I did. And then, um, on April 27th, 2003, I heard a talk that helped me understand what grace was in my life. Mm. That it wasn't about changing a bunch of stuff. It was just about receiving love 
and acceptance over who I am and who I was going to be and who I'd been before. And so that day I, I shifted my life and shifted my heart and shifted my mind uh, and then started um, leading worship. You know, I, wow. I did a lot of singing. I eventually went on staff at that church. Then, then I started recovery groups for women who had pornography addiction. And that ended up growing to one of the largest in the country because, you know, what's not readily known is that 33 at minimum 33% of all pornography users are women. Yeah. And sometimes it can be looked at like as an empowering thing, but yet it mm-hmm. still puts actual sexual relationship into a fantasy world, which real sex is actually better uh, and, and not the fantasy. Mm-hmm. So we started those groups. Then we started recovery groups. Uh, for people who, you know, had, had addiction with drug and alcohol, that kind of deal. And I met my husband, my now husband, who is incredible. Mm. He's so, so we, you know, because I'd never done it before. We dated like it was 1950. It was great. Like we wrote up this little contract, like we're going to, we're going to, um, only have one point of contact, like our elbows. Okay, yeah. We're going to sit on a couch together at, after three months of dating. We're not going to get each other gifts because we don't want to influence each other. Yeah, yeah. We were taking it at like this 1950 space. And I remember one day, like he was having this, um, he was not having a great day. And so I went to go massage his shoulders. Because mm. that's the first thing that I, you know, I was like, physical touch. Mm-hmm. And he, he stopped me really gently. He said, you know, he said, you don't have to make me feel better physically in order to make me feel better mentally. Mm. And I went, okay, that's yeah. okay. That's different. That any, you know what? Right. I think that that's really crazy because like he was speaking directly to like what you needed, right? Like, because it's like him knowing your history, it's like he knew that for you, that was pretty much all you knew. So for him to be such a contrast to that must have been like so loving to you. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Oh my gosh. I was like, what? Yeah. You mean that? Okay. Okay, great. So yeah. we, you know, we ended up just having an incredible, we, we had an open wedding that the entire city was invited to. Oh. Married in a historic theater. I had 11 bridesmaids. He had 11 groomsmen. Oh. It was a huge blow. It was, it was so fun. And uh, then we both proceeded to, we ended up launching a church in Miami and a tattoo shop in South Beach. Wow. We were the, the co-lead pastors of that church. And it was such a blast. We ended up partnering with another church down there and it became a multi-site of theirs. Wow. So we released and we we're like, okay, what are we going to do next? So, you know, we were traveling around the country and everything. Now, in the midst of this, not long after we got married, um, we had talked about, you know, let's, when are we going to start a family? Mm-hmm. So I downloaded a fertility app. Right. And on there, you know, it had the, the pink ribbon, like, hey, do your check. I lifted my arm and put my hand directly on cancer. <sighs> and so I went, did you know right away? I said, that does not feel right. So, and I'm 40 at this point. Right. Got married late. 
And I called my doctor. Yes, it turned out it was cancer. So I went through um, a couple of surgeries, chemotherapy, then I had a double re- double mastectomy reconstruction. Oh. That was that was when we started talking about that fertility journey. Right. Because going through chemo, like there's, you have to wait a while. Yeah, there's, there's lots of things. You can do. Totally. So we did all this travel and then it, we came back around to, okay, it's time. Uh, you know, we want to start a family. Mm-hmm. And that's when the IVF process started in. So mm-hmm. I went through retrievals and transfers, retrievals and transfers, and nothing was happening. In the midst of this in life, like we were building businesses, we launched another church. We did, you know, we were doing lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. The undercurrent of it was let's build this family. Mm-hmm. And after multiple failures of transfer, out of the blue, my husband's brother's wife asked if she could carry for us. Oh. And so we were like, are you sure? Like this is, you know, she had two children. Wow. She, years younger so she started the all you know all of the medicine in order to be able to transfer our embryo into her mm-hmm. and she had a couple of failures there also and then one day we got the call wow that took <laughs> yeah wow. that Josephine was on the way and so like we had been waiting for so long I you know I was about ready to turn 50 mm-hmm. it, had, it had been that long of a process and I remember looking at Tim one day and went, he's five years younger than me. So I was like, I'm almost 50. Mm-hmm. Is this crazy for us to do right now? You know, and he was like, we're at the best time of our life right now. Yeah. Like we're stable. We're secure. I said, you know, if we had either one of us had tried to, you know, in our twenties, that would have been, oh, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. we're at the best place of our life right now to have a baby. Yeah. So you know, I was at every doctor's appointment and uh, we got a healthy baby girl flew right to us. And she was, I was there and they um, immediately transferred her to me mm-hmm. and just got to have a sweet time. Wow. With, with her right out. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's our sweet Josephine. And so she's 10 months old. Wow. That is just... What a story. So, okay. So literally from you just getting invited to church by a friend, your life changed after that. Did you immediately quit your job and like get out of all the stuff that you were involved in or what did you do? I left the industry when I moved back to Kentucky. Okay. I started going to church a few weeks after that. And then actually became a Christian, like gave my life to Christ and decided that this is, this is the path that I want to be on. I want somebody who knows my life better than me, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that was about six months after that. Mm -hmm. And then I went into ministry. Wow. Now when we started, cause I started a nonprofit, uh, and we went into clubs and, um, you know, especially when we were talking to women who are still in the industry, it is not a, you know, we never went in going, you need to get out of the industry. Right. It's like, if you want to get out of the industry, great. We've got some resources for you. If not, still going to love on you. And what do you need? Do you need stuff for your baby? What do you need? Do you, if you do want to get out, let's work up a financial plan because it may take a few months for you to transition financially into having a different job. Mm-hmm. 
that ended up growing. We were in 13 different cities at that point. And then we partnered with another organization and we trained like over a hundred different ministries in the United States on how to do uh, effective outreach into uh, populations in the industry. Wow. For our nonprofit, all of our cities became separate nonprofits. So at that point I was released to go, let me focus on the next thing that I'm being called to and loving on people in the, in the ways that I'm called to in that moment and in that season. Mm. So first I want to talk about you and like your healing. So obviously, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, but talk to me about like your counseling therapy. Like how did you, cause there's a lot there that you had to unpack, you know, like we talked about before, obviously like brutally raped, which that is enough to make people suicidal, to ruin their life, you know? But not only that, like you said, you were in the industry for so long and I'm sure you had a lot of interesting experiences, you know? So how did you unpack all of that? And like, where are you today? Who are you today? You know, from that, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I believe that you need to find a safe person to be able to talk to things about uh, things about. Mm-hmm. For me, that wasn't like an overnight, hey, now everything's better. Right. A, a journey of going, of really being introspective. You know, I think if you don't look at yourself and like even some of the motivations um, and be able to talk to somebody about that, then it can just get bottled up inside. Mm-hmm. For me, I did go to different therapies, different counselors. I found somebody I was comfortable with. Uh, But then I also ran a recovery program that, you know, we had 500 people a week that was there. And so I was able to even through teaching in that. And I find that a lot of times like I can find healing in the thing that I'm teaching because it's meant for me too. You know, (laughs) it's like not just meant to speak out to other people. It's it's meant for me and to, and to heal my heart also. Mm-hmm. I think that just understanding it, one of the, one of the most key things for me was understanding that everything is a season mm-hmm. and you can do anything for a season. Mm-hmm. I think that, that it set up like that, you know, we have the seasons that if I looked at my entire life and went, how did I survive all that? Like, how did I, how did I stay resilient in those things? And a lot of it was, I understood that what was, what had happened that didn't define me, who I was, just like any of the things that I do, they don't define me. They're just things that I do. So like, if I have something that succeeds or something that fails, I'm not defined by what my business is. I'm not defined by what my ministry is. I'm not defined by what my nonprofit is. Mm -hmm. I'm defined by me and my relationship with my creator and my faith. Mm -hmm. And I really needed the faith. I needed to have a community of people that loved Jesus and could love me also. Mm. And in the end, combined with counseling, combined with talking with lots and lots of people, there's a script, the, there's a scripture that, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, Mm-hmm. You know, I know the plans I have for you. I looked at that mm-hmm. during some really hard times and not in the, oh, there's hope and there's a future, but 
God saying, I know the plans mm-hmm. and they're good. And I know bad stuff has happened mm-hmm. and, and we can redeem that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think through that whole journey of healing, you know, we're, we're all still, I'm not like, and now I'm completely healed. You know, now mm-hmm. I'm completely perfect. I mean, there are things in my life where I go, wow, mm-hmm. that, that throws me back into some PTSD and mm-hmm. let's analyze it. <laughs> you know, yeah. what is causing this was, I think the introspection is uh, really important to go. Yeah. Okay. What is actually triggering me in this? Yeah. I need to call somebody. Let yeah. Me, let me hear some truth, you know? So I think being able to pull people in, I think um, understanding that things are a season and to continue and to understand that it's, it's work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard work, but it's good work and it's mm-hmm. worth it on the other side for, for when you have such deep, deep pain, mm-hmm. it's also, you're also able to have that incredible deep joy. Mm-hmm. I was finding myself at one point leveling out like I'm not going to feel the pain. I'm going to dissociate. And my joy started to dissociate also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in order to have the both and understand that, like walking into it going, this may not be great, but I'm going to allow myself to feel this pain because I know that there is joy on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Redemption of it. So that's really beautiful. Um, I just um, got to interview Pastor uh, John O down in Atlanta, and he talked about that. He said, you know, joy and sorrow can walk together. He said, you know, joy and sorrow, those tears all taste the same, and you can have them at the same time. And he talked about the birth of his daughter kind of coincided with the death of his brother. And he talked about just the the low lows and the high highs of that and how you have to be able to take it all. And I just, I see so many parallels with your story. That's just, it's so interesting. It's beautiful. Did you feel like you carried a lot of that into your marriage? Or did you feel like you had done the bulk of the work prior to, or like, how did that work? I think I had done the bulk of the work of my past prior to it. Mm-hmm. But then I had new bulk work to work on because of cancer and infertility and, you know, in a new marriage and all totally. of those things. So, you know, back to the point, like understanding that that is life. Mm-hmm. Yes, the seasons happen. Mm-hmm. But even if you're in a high season, like a low season is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Understanding that that happens. Yeah. And help you go through it and feel it. Mm-hmm. Because you do have to feel it. So, so no, I'd done the bulk of, of my past work before mm-hmm. I got married, but still had lots of work to do with totally. what was going on, you know, or new yeah. things that were cropping up where I went, oh, wow, I didn't even know that could trigger me in that way. Grab my phone. Yeah. <laughs> Call somebody. For real. Oh, totally. So what is something that people can do? If someone's listening to this and they're like, wow, I mean, like, what an incredible story, but like, not my story at all, you know, what can, can we do to help women who are in the sex industry or suffering from a porn addiction or whatever, you know what I mean? Or have been raped or like, what can people that are listening to this do to help those people? I usually like, I I like to always end or, or preface my story with, you know, some of the things that happened to me, hopefully have not happened to you, Mm -hmm. but the core piece of our stories 
are that we're human. Mm-hmm. We all have the feelings of we've at some point of our lives being left out mm-hmm. of feeling betrayal, uh, feeling broken, uh, feeling not good enough of, you know, we all have that. Yeah. And the details of our stories, while they may be different, you can still relate to how it's felt in your heart. Absolutely. And so for people who want to uh, help, I always say find first, don't jump out and start an organization. Mm-hmm. Join a pre-existing organization. See if that is something that is uh, something that continues to make your heartbeat and that that's your passion. Mm-hmm. See what they're doing. Uh, there are tons of organizations out there that help women. There are organizations that you could give to, that you could volunteer with. The scripture in the Bible, love your neighbor as you love yourself, I think is important because first, you need to love yourself before you can love people mm-hmm. in the ways that you want to. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I think we want to help people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But loving yourself first and then letting what you do be an overflow of that mm-hmm. is really where I think people should start. Mm-hmm. Get your counseling if you need it. Talk to your friends. Do the healing work. And sometimes that healing work is giving back in that same area, you know, of, of what you came out of. But sometimes that healing work is in something that is completely different. Mm-hmm. But you may have a, a passion to see that children placed in amazing homes. Yeah. That may not have been your story. Mm-hmm. You may not have been through the foster system or, or adopted, but your heart is for that. Mm-hmm. So reach out to local organizations and give of your time, your finances, if you can. Mm-hmm. And that's a place to start. Mm-hmm. Understand yourself, understand what, where your passion is. Like for me, and we we will do this at some point. One of my passions is helping children who are in poverty because mm-hmm. I think that poverty is at the root of a whole lot of horrific things that happen. If you mm-hmm. look at trafficking, if you look at um, lack of economic opportunity, that's why I got into the industry was right. lack of economic opportunity. So how do we support people in education? Uh, How do we support people in lifting them up into a new life outside of poverty? Yeah. So that's one of the, that's one of the things we'll be looking at in the next couple of years Mm -hmm. and developing, how can we, how can we help in that? And how can we partner with other organizations that are doing great work with it? Mm -hmm. I love that so much. I love what you said, how, you know, okay, like don't listen to my story and just think like, oh, well that didn't happen to me. So it doesn't apply to me. Like there's so many commonalities between all of us, you know, like how you said you, a lot of what led you into kind of your story was that you were just wanting to like be accepted. You were looking for love and then the economic opportunity paired with that. You know what I mean? It was almost like a perfect storm of things, but people can relate to so many aspects of that, to feeling that way, you know, um, to feeling alone, to, to feeling like they're out of options. And I just think that that's why it's so important and so life-changing for people to share their stories, regardless of what it looks like, even if it's like something, like yours, you know, that's like you said, it's the type of story where when you start telling it, you're like, Hey, I hope 
you guys haven't been through this stuff, you know, whether it's a story like that or if it's something a little more average, quote unquote, you know what I mean? Like whatever. So I just think that there's so much to glean from it. And I just love so much how you were so clear about how your healing journey was not an overnight thing. And it wasn't like a one quick fix. You know, you talked so much about your faith journey, counseling, therapy, your community, like so many things all together are what help you helped you get through some really, really, really tough stuff. And I just think that that's so, so encouraging, right? For people to hear that, to hear um, that. I, I just think it's so amazing. You know, I'm also on the book launch team for Jenna Kutcher's book, How Are You Really? And I know you're on that. I saw a post that you did in the group recently about being a new mom and how, you know, becoming a mom at 50, you've been this very like fast paced professional, like running these nonprofits, like doing so much stuff. And then it's like, here you are with a baby and it's jumbled up your life a little bit. And it's been like, (laughs) It's been like really humbling for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, on a side note, I want that book in everybody's hand, by the way. I know, I, I know. The culture right now is just so much driven, driven, hustle, hustle. And I don't think that's how we're meant to live. I think that that's great for a season, uh, but it's yeah. not a season that you have to stay in. Um, I agree. For me, yes, it was very hot because I was like, okay, I was a business strategist. I um, did all this ministry stuff. We've got all this stuff going on, going on, going on. Mm -hmm. And to be able to take my foot off the gas and to be present Mm -hmm. with my daughter, like I want to be present with her. And I think that society can tell us Yes, be present with her, but then you need to stay up for five hours after she goes to bed to hustle yourself into Mm -hmm. your grave. And I'm like, that's not what I want. And that's not what I want for her because I know for me, especially at 51 now, I mean, mama needs her rest. Yes. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, I, if I, if I don't have my rest, I'm not the best mom I could be for her. Mm -hmm. And she, needs me. And so to be able to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to back off for a season, Mm -hmm. which we did. And now we're ramping up in another season because she's entering a different phase of her life too, Mm -hmm. where it's not every hour and a half, she needs something at night. Totally. Yeah. She's not so itsy bitsy. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's independently playing. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like life changing. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> skip the laundry because I actually am going to do something online. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important to, to be okay with that in yourself. Yeah. Because I think that there is an undue pressure that people feel of if I'm going to be successful or if I'm going to look as if I'm successful, I have to, go, 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 uh, throw the filter on as hard as I can, because I know I got bags under my eyes for days because I'm not getting enough sleep, but maybe it's going to 
turn something up in the next few years. That is not living. No, that is not. And so I think we've got to come back to the actual being present. Mm -hmm. I remember about five years ago, I, it was like, it was like a voice in my heart saying I was looking at one of my cats. I, I, I'm a cat. I have three cats. I was looking at one of my cats and I was like, be present. And I was like, I'm going to enjoy this moment of looking at my cat. Yeah. I need to be present in it. Not let me look at my cat and I'll take a picture because this is a great angle for me looking at my cat. I just oh, need yeah. to actually spend time with my cat. Um, and, and I, of course I will take pictures when they're opportune. But sure. Yeah. It's not an all the time thing. It's not yeah. an ever present thing. I and and I can find myself going towards that because mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a high output capacity person. And to give myself the freedom to take a breath, that was that was humbling for me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Yeah. I, I agree with you so much. It's our culture just celebrates, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And, you know, you're right. Like, it's kind of like you would be held on like a pedestal if you were like, yes, like I'm a very present mother all day. And then I stay up all night building my business and like rah, rah for me. Now, obviously, listen, there's single moms out there that are busting their butts to provide for their kids and they have no other option and so, so much respect to them. But, you know, what we're talking about here is that hustle culture, like you said, that's like, I got to look successful to everyone. I have to look successful to everyone because that is what is so important. And it's hard not to get swept up in it. It really, really is. I think that's just so beautiful though that you were like, listen, I was given this gift that is my daughter. You know, I wanted her for so long and here she is and I'm not going to miss it. And I'm going to be really present. And that's very hard though. And it's humbling and it sounds easy. It sounds like, well, (laughs) she wanted a baby for forever. Of course, she's just going to sit and stare at the baby all day, every day and just not think about anything else. And that's just not life. You know what I mean? Like it's, if you have always like you said, been an achiever, been a go-getter, been, you know, or like for me, I'm such a like to-do list type person. I like to accomplish things. I like to move on from them. And it's not like that with kids. Like I have two little girls and it's like, what's the to-do list? You know what I mean? It's like, we're just like playing all day. You know what I mean? Sometimes that can get like really mundane and feel like I didn't accomplish anything today. Like, what am I doing? Like what happened today? I don't even remember. We didn't, you know, do anything on the list, the, my to-do list of things that, you know what I mean? And it can get very, it's hard. It could just be a hard place to be. And so I think that that's really awesome that you were able to scale back, you know, and just be like, Hey, this is hard for me. And to admit that this is hard, but there's a season for this and I'm going to do this. So listen, where can we find you online? Like, how can we know when your memoir comes out? Like all of the things. Uh, sandysavage.com. That's S-A-N-D-I-S-A-V-A-G-E.com is my website. And I hang out primarily on Instagram. So Sandy Savage there, S-A-N-D-I-S-A-V-A-G-E. <laughs> so those are the two places you can DM me there or um, go check out the website. And those are the easiest ways to get to me. I love it. I love it. So, hey, we always end um, by asking, what's your favorite snack right now? Ooh, <laughs> Ooh my favorite snack right now. Mm, I would love to say like 
you know, zucchini with some cookies. Oh. I said, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I think that my favorite snack right now, oh my gosh, there is. There's this place in in uh, Nashville called Jenny's Ice Cream, and and the ice cream is is all over right now. This season, she's got out a peach and sweet biscuit. Oh my goodness! Ice cream. Oh, that sounds so good. It's so good, and it's out right now. That sounds oh. Jenny's peach and sweet biscuit ice cream. That sounds amazing. Oh my goodness. We have a farm like local right around here that does ice cream. And I have been just addicted to the blueberry cheesecake flavor. And it's like legit. Like I'm not, the thing that's interesting about it, I'm not a huge cheesecake person. I don't dislike cheesecake, but whatever. Like it's not, there's like chunks of like pie crust in this ice cream and like full blueberry. Like it is. It is so good. Glorious, glorious. I'm a cold person. Like, uh, I like to snack on cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So refreshing. I love that. <laughs> that sounds so good. So good. What'd you say? It's in Nashville? It's all over right now. The, okay. The, they started in Nashville. And so the okay. first time I had, the, had it was in yeah, Nashville. Yeah. It's, it's, Nashville is like three hours away from us. Oh, okay. So we used to head down there a lot. Yeah. Before, before yeah, I know. <laughs> so true. Then you have a baby and you're like, huh? Remember when we used to do these cool things? <laughs> I used to like head down to Nashville for the weekend. <laughs> oh man, but it's good. Sandy, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. This was amazing. Your story is so encouraging. I just know it's going to touch so many people. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.